Ooh, thanks so much for the click. I'm Aaron Freeman, a science-loving comedian, and along with my partner, Dr. Peggy Mason, a fun-loving neuroscientist at the University of Chicago, welcome to the Brain Buddies podcast, sponsored by the Chicago Society for Neuroscience. Peggy and I love talking about brain-esque stuff. Our good buddies at WBEZ have an ongoing series every other hour, which is the frequency with which people are shot in Chicago. Peggy and I are taking a look at some of the neuroscience and neurobiology that may be involved in some aspects of the reporting. This discussion is about not a report specifically in the every other hour series, but another BEZ report from a few years ago about the violence interrupters. When I came home from prison after serving 16 years, I was introduced to a program called Ceasefire. I initially volunteered, and I seen that they were having an impact in the community. Not only were they offering jobs to people in the community, mm-hmm. but they was offering jobs to people like myself who had a mindset to reform and to actually go into the community and talk to the people that was actually committing the acts of violence. The goal of the violent interrupters is to short-circuit the revenge, which is often the motivation for violence. I think that revenge, we think about it a lot. We fantasize about it, but in fact, we don't do it that often. Let me tell you something about myself I don't think you know. My cousin, Jimmy Lee, was a heroin addict who was murdered. He was shot four times. This is about maybe 15, 20 years ago. And I can tell you that I wanted revenge. In my view, it seemed justice. I wanted the guys who did it to suffer. Contemplating their suffering brought me some comfort that I, you and, know, I wanted. And did you do anything? No, of course I didn't do anything. And now do you, do you feel the same? No, but I could easily access my own desire for revenge. Even now, I think it was like more like 35 years ago, but I can easily access my desire for vengeance. I have no trouble imagining that if I had a bazooka or a AK-47 and could make this guy explode, that would make me happy. I totally understand. I, I've had plenty of revenge feelings uh, through my life, but I, but in fact, you and I have not acted on those. Of course, humans aren't the only vengeful critters. It's pretty darn rare within the non-human animal community. The example that you told me about, the cowbirds. Now, the cowbirds do do revenge. They do very specific revenge. Can you explain about the cowbirds? There are a number of animals that are what are called brood parasites. In other words, they'll put their eggs or they'll put their developing young into the care of another individual so that the other individual has to expend resources to brood those babies. And so a cuckoo is an example. A cuckoo puts its eggs into some other bird's nest and the other bird raises the cuckoos. Now, let's imagine that that the the host bird, the, the one that is being parasitized, so to speak, kicks the cuckoo egg out of the nest. Well, The cuckoo absorbs that. That's part of the cost of this strategy. That's not the case with the cowbird. The cowbird realizes who kicked its eggs out of their nest and takes revenge. And it takes revenge in an incredibly (laughs) directed way by kicking out the eggs of the host bird. So 
If you kick out my one egg, I'm going to kick out all your eggs. All your babies are going to be not happening. It's like Sean Connery said in the movie The Untouchables. They put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Not just one, but the whole darn brood. (laughs) This is vicious behavior. This is the thing that the violence interrupters in the BEZ report tried to address. When a wrong has been done to someone you care about or someone you're affiliated with, there is a strong tendency among humans, and certainly in this in this series on BEZ, there was a tendency among people in these violent communities to take revenge. I, I think there are a couple of things. I think one, one point to make is that this is not biologically dictated in humans as it is in cowbirds, okay? There are a lot of people that you look at them cross-eyed and they don't want to go and kill you and then there are situations where people have gone through certain experiences growing up in that environment um i went to school i did very well but at some point the negativity um took a hold of me and i began to um get involved in negative behavior this is not a genetic constraint this is a behavior that is very shaped by experiences and environment That means that we can unshape that (laughs) just as much as it's been shaped. And it is a, it's a, it's a rare individual who does, but it's not a rare individual who does in a certain environment and with, uh, in a person who has had a certain set of experiences. What I think we learn from comparing, say, the cowbird to the human is that we're not genetically constrained. We can choose not to take revenge. But there's a great advantage to taking revenge. In an area where there's high poverty, the only thing that people have really is their name and their respect. So when you violate that, people feel hopeless as if they have nothing, and they feel as though to regain it, they have to commit a violent act. Because it can short-circuit intrusions against you and your property. If people think Aaron Freeman is not a man to be messed with, People who think that are not going to mess with me. And indeed, the cowbird uses this to great advantage. I would suspect if you did an analysis, cowbird eggs are kicked out of the nest more rarely than are, say, cuckoo bird eggs because the cuckoo doesn't take directed revenge. So, yes, it pays off, but it also has a big cost. There's no question. Let's take the BZ report on the violence interrupters, okay? So there's the shooting. Aaron's cousin gets shot. And the violence interrupters, who are guys in the neighborhood, are familiar with the culture, so they know Aaron knows who shot his cousin, and Aaron has a gun, and Aaron has been involved in violence before, and they consider Aaron is feeling, as rightly so, a desire for revenge. One of the strategies we use is buying time. Buying time is to actually take an individual who may have been offended. Um, Maybe he or one of his friends or one of his family members may have been shot. So what we would do is we would engage the individual and just do something as simple as taking him out to eat. By taking Mm -hmm. him out to eat for two or three hours, we are able to allow him to calm down, to come from that state of um, what we call the emotional state, where the person is upset, thinking irrational, and will act instinctively as opposed to thinking out what he's about to do. And that time apart, as he calms down, then we will talk to him about the consequences of committing a violent act, whether it's retaliatory or whether it's based upon him being angry at an individual. So many mistakes that I have made 
would not have been made had I had a chance to step back and take 20 seconds to calm down. Well, absolutely. You're trying to get into the more rational, conscious thought, which is way more resource depleting. This is the, you know, the system two of Kahneman and Tversky. This is not your first reaction. It's not the emotional reaction. It's a more rational reaction. And it does take prefrontal cortex overriding the first reaction. The reaction arising from the fast-thinking limbic system, popularly referred to as the reptile brain. What does it mean that the prefrontal cortex overrides the limbic reptile response? It suppresses that reaction, so in fact it never occurs. It suppresses that reaction. It's a top-down situation where uh, the information just never gets to the point where it's making you suffer. What I think I hear you saying is that our behaviors are affected by, as Michael Gazzaniga says, parallel independent systems in our brains. For example, my desire to be a good person is essentially independent of my anger at that guy for that vote in Congress. And that at any given point, it's up for grabs which of those among other desires will be the... The winning bidder for your restricted motor plant. You only have one set of muscles. And which of the multitude of possible actions you can perform at one time is decided by the basal ganglia. Using information from all over the cerebral cortex that tells you about your experiences with the possible actions that you could take at any one time. There's been some pretty good experiments done when they tell a subject, when you feel like it, press the button. And that there's activation in the motor cortex before the subject is consciously aware of wanting to press the button. The implication being that our conscious decision-making comes after the parts of our brain that that literally parts of our brain that control action have done their thing. Another way to say that same idea is that we act unconsciously. We then watch ourselves and make up a story about our actions. So that would be the Gazzaniga uh, interpretation, that the left hemisphere is basically watching our actions and making up stuff. Right. That's why I did it. Sometimes the, what we make up has some semblance of, of uh, truth and sometimes <laughs> not so much. So that when you say that we act depending on what our past experience has taught us, this particular little bit of, of experimentation we're talking about now implies that consciousness and memory is not necessarily involved in action. That we do the action and then later come up with some sort of cognitive PFC theories about it and that that's why that's why the cycle is so bloody hard to break why recidivism is the norm breaking a habit is hard taking a person out of a loop of behavior whatever that behavior is let's say it's some compulsive behavior or some violent behavior or whatever it is once they're in that loop it's hard to get out Thanks immensely much for listening. If you are a neuroscience fan, we hope you'll check out the Chicago Society for Neuroscience online at chicagosfn.org. You are also invited to visit Peggy's blog, thebrainissocool.com, and you can find us both on Twitter and Facebook. 
We're just getting started here, and we would love your feedback and or suggestions of neuroscience topics you'd like to hear us talk about. We really would love to hear your answer to the question, when can you remember having been talked down from a vengeful urge? Can you remember talking anyone else down from vindictive rage? Drop a comment on our blog, brainbuddiespodcast.com. Until next time, wishing you ponds that are peaceful and gleels full of glee from the Chicago Society for Neuroscience's Brain Buddies Podcast.